chapter and the 17th verse. Before you read that or look at that, let me kind of set up where we are headed this morning. It is, it is my desire and my goal this morning to explain to you a little bit of how the anointing works, why the anointing is so important, and how you can tap in to the anointing. As most of you know, I am in the process of writing a book entitled America the Addicted. I have spent several hours with my personal medical doctor, a lifelong friend of 15 years. We go into his office, he locks the door, tells the nurse not to bother us for 45 minutes. We pick his brain and through the process of, of him sharing some things with me and some things that you all know about the physical body, we're gonna explain why the anointing is so important. Every one of you here this morning were created with three facets. Body, say soma with me. That's the Greek word. Soul, say suke with me. And spirit, say pneuma. pneuma. Every one of you are created in the form of a triangle. You have actually the natural body, which is the, the Greek word soma. You have the mental ability to think, ration, make decisions. That is your soulish man. And the spirit man is a seed that's on the inside of you that is birthed when you accept Christ as your savior. That seed is like a little coal glowing, an ember glowing. And when you pour the consuming fire of the word of God on it, all of a sudden that seed ignites and your spiritual man becomes alive. Nicodemus said, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus said, you have to be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I go back to my mother's womb? He said, it's not the mother's womb you need to focus on, it's the spirit womb. It's the womb of God that allows you to generate, to create, invent thoughts, ideas, power, glory, authority. The anointing is the door that taps you into the glory of God. In, in life, there is a, a, a hunger in every one of us, and many of us do not realize that when you were created, God made you complete with two receptors. And those are the receptors of joy, and those are the receptors of peace. The joy is the high, the peace is the, is the calm. And when you, start, when you study mankind today, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're not full of the Holy Ghost, your body seeks out joy through alcohol, meth, and coke. Your body seeks out peace through hydros, valium, demerol, and heroin. heroin. Your, your body was created to have a dose of the Holy Ghost. I love that. I said, You're by, you were created to be intimate with the things of God. And the Holy Ghost is that, is that anointing that takes you where God wants you to be. Isaiah said, the Holy Ghost picked me up by the hair of my head and carried me to where he wanted me to be. Now, unfortunately for the Holy Ghost, many of you don't have hair, so he couldn't pick you up and carry you. So there are other ways. That was a cheap shot, wasn't it, Chris? There is a, there is a, there's, there's other ways that God can manifest his power and his glory through you. I do not, I have a lot of, I have a lot of notes today and I will not bore you with a lot of notes, but I just, I want to tell you where we're going this morning. In the world, we seek out a buzz, a high, a thrill. The, the reason that you medicate is that there's, a, there's something that happens when you medicate. There's a, there's a transformation of your, of, your, of your suke and things begin to change. And you will do stupid things under the influence of drugs. Am I telling the truth? The only good thing I've seen a spring break beer is major belly flops. Are you with me? 
I mean, you can, when you're drunk, you can do a cool belly flop because you have absolute, no concern how you're going to hurt or harm your body. But that, that buzz, that thrill, that high, that, that, that utopia that we seek out through knowledge will not fill the spirit man. The knowledge fills a soulish man. You can lift weights, you can get tan, you can, you can be buff, you can dress, you can do all of that. But that does not satisfy the spiritual man, that satisfies the physical man. So we know that doing things to your body appeases the physical. We know that learning knowledge is power. We know that all of that appeals to the intellectual, but only the thought process of God touches the spiritual man. And for us to have the spiritual man, that we got to understand how the spiritual man operates and functions. Daniel, the, the fourth chapter of Daniel. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about, you want to talk about drama. You want to talk about Steven Spielberg. You want to talk about, you want to talk about uh, 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 things of the Word of God. The Word of God is one of the most exciting books ever written, ever, ever published. I mean, you've got your, you've got your, you've got your murder in here. You got your rape in here. You got your incest in here. You got your, and all the good stuff other, but this is a pretty dr dramatic book. How many would agree? This is a pretty dramatic book. And we find a king goes to a country and he kidnaps the, the entire civilization. He murders all the dads, kills most of the women. It takes only the youth several hundred miles away. Then he raises up an army that conquers the world. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow. We know that this king, Nebuchadnezzar, saw them walking in the fire furnace, not bound, but free. And the fourth man he acknowledged was the son of God. We have a king that has conquered the world. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered the world. And we find the opening part of, of chapter 4. He's saying all the right things. He's giving God the glory. Talking about the secrets of God, the power of God, how great God is. But he has a dream. And this dream really, really tr troubles him. And so he brings in all the Chaldeans, all the soothsayers, all the fortune tellers, all the magicians, and gives them a command. Tell me what is the interpretation of my dream. This is not the first dream that he will have. He's had dreams before. Nobody has the interpretation except for Daniel. The dream troubles Daniel. The king sees Daniel. And this is before, by the way, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den as a very mature prophet, a very mature man of God under another genealogy of Darius. So, so Daniel has favor with the king. He's considered one of the king's right arms, one of the king's voices. The king knows Daniel well enough to know that Daniel is troubled. And the king said, Daniel, do not let this dream trouble you. Tell me the dream. And the dream is about the ruin of Nebuchadnezzar because his heart is so filled with pride and his heart is so filled with all the things that he has accomplished. And this is the king that's going to wander in the field for seven years. His, his hair is going to become like eagle feathers. His fingernails are going to become like an eagle's talon. And this is the guy that, that is going to acknowledge after seven years of living like a cow or living like a, a coyote, he's going to acknowledge that God is, God is great and God's going to restore to him. So naturally, Daniel is very concerned about interpret this dream because he could lose his life. The king gives him carte blanche, give me, the, give me the interpretation, tell me what the dream is all about. So Daniel proceeds to tell the king about the dream. In the middle of this interpretation, for verse 17, is definitely a Steven Spielberg moment. This is definitely a Hollywood thing. This is something that if you'll look at it very clearly, you'll find two things mentioned that we don't talk a lot about, and that is the watchers, and that is the holy ones. 
Hollywood just produced a movie concerning the immortals. You know the story. The immortals came to earth and fought evil so that civilization could, could survive. If you've not seen the Avengers yet, I won't ruin it for you, but there are two immortals that come from another planet and they come to defend the, 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 the America, defend the world, uh, yada, yada. This is one of those kind of themes. This is, a, this is a thought that Steven Spielberg could take and do something even better than Raiders of a Lost Ark or even better than, than the Avengers. But watch this first if you will, in verse 17. After, after Daniel declares the word of the Lord to Nebuchadnezzar that he's been changed to a beast, he's going to wander the field for seven years, and then he's going to acknowledge God. Here's what Daniel says. This matter is by the decree of the watchers. We know that there are four angels, north, south, east, and west. They walk the circuit of earth watching over the earth. We know that Jacob fell asleep, saw a stairway leading into heaven, angels coming down, angels going up somewhere in the area of Jerusalem is where this, this dream took place. This is the matter by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. We know that angels walk in authority and power as they demonstrate the word of God. And as we ask God for things, God sends angels to see those things pass. The Bible says that angels constantly watch over the children and make sure they're safe. We know there are seven angels in the last days. That, that angel watches over that particular church culture, that church denomination. So here's what he's saying. To the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will and setteth upon it the basest of men. There are eight words that I took from this passage of, of scripture that we very easily could do a series or a thought or a mini series on these eight words. We find the word matter, we find the word demand, the word intent, the word may know, the word ruleth, the word giveth, the word setteth, and the word baseth. By way of a basic simple explanation this morning, this word is declaring that God can do whatever he wants. He can use whoever he wants. He can do it however he wants. That there are angels, that there are levels of angels, there are holy ones, those are angels that watch over the earth to make sure the word of God is performed exactly as God has declared it. He shows us that we can put a demand on the Word of God. We can understand the matter of the Word of God. We can understand the intent of the Word of God. But this is the word that I wanted to share with you in our, our Facebook congregation is this, that God can give it to whomever He pleases. God can give it to whomever He wants to give it to, even the basis of men. And when you study that word basis, it simply means the lowest standard or the, or the uneducated or the unintelligent, or the uninformed, or the financially broke, that that's the category for some reason that God seems to want to use. Are you with me in the house today? I'm gonna to show you eight things today that the anointing is gonna do, and I will not be lengthy, because we have plans with the family, we intend to keep those plans active, so unless you just really, really get quiet on me and shut me down, I don't intend to preach long this morning, but if you wave at me, clap, throw things at me, shout amen, hallelujah, make it, shake that bush, hunt that dog, all those things will help us get to where we need to go today. If you'll go with me to Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and I think the guys are gonna help us by putting that up on the screen. I thought it'd be fun today if we could just take our, our Bibles and on our own find some of these scriptures, Isaiah, Jeremiah, 61 is right after 60. For those of you that are dyslexic, it'll help. Thought I'd just share that with you. 
Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. You have to have the Spirit of the Lord on you to walk in the anointing of the Lord. Does that help? Does that help? Does that help? You just cut five minutes off the sermon. You're doing good. He has sent me, watch this, to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them, watch it, a trade, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be <coughs> glorified. Watch, watch who God chooses. God chooses a congregation that is troubled, that is frustrated, that is mourning, that is wounded, that is weighed down by burdens. They are in prison. They're bound. They're broke. But there's a word in here that I think God attaches to. They're meek. They understand where they are in the, in the circle of life. They understand where they're at on the totem pole of success. They, they know exactly who they are, what they've done, where they've been. It kind of sounds a lot like Church of the Harvest. It kind of sounds like a lot of people that have recovered from drugs, recovered from alcohol, recovered from the things of the world, and are at a place where they want to pursue their destiny and become what God wants them to become. And we shared this several times. It seems like the main champions in God's story are losers. Men and women that have dropped the ball. Men and women that have failed. I think of Jephthah. I think of Gideon. I think of David. I think of Samson. Guys who tried to do it their way or do it another way. Guys that found themselves in hiding or in trouble or under a curse or under some kind of pretense of judgment. That God seems to seek out the underdog. God seems to seek out the loser. He seems to seek out. He said, true religion is to minister to the widow and the orphan. I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison. So God seems to want to respond to the hungry, to the naked, and those that are bound with something in life. Not just to feed them, not just to clothe them, not just to set them free, but watch this next verse if you're still with me. Verse 4. And they, who's they? Look at somebody and say, all the losers, all the underdogs, all the outcasts, all those that are in trouble, all those that are depressed, under bondage. And they shall build the old ways, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, and the desolations, watch this, of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be called the priests of the Lord and shall call you the ministers of our God. And ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory ye boast yourself. 
For your shame you shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be upon him. What an incredible prophecy. What an incredible promise that God has given us today. Can anybody relate to that? Someone say, well, this is for Israel, or this is for that, or this is for, you know what? I think you can make it pretty much for whatever you want to make it for. I believe we're living in the last of the last days, and I think that this word is for this house right now, what God wants to do. And I know that there are, because I am your pastor, I know there are those in, in, in this room that qualify for a miracle. There are those in this room that are under attack. There are those that are under pressure. There are those that are overburdened. There are those that are frustrated about what they're going to do in the next week, the next month, the next year. So God has said, this is what I'll do. I'll allow my anointing to come upon you and let you speak things you never thought you would speak. Let you do things you never thought you would do. Give you strength you never thought that you would have. I'm going to do that because I can. Look at somebody, look at somebody say, can God? God can. One word, one song, one moment, one truth can take you from where you're at to where you need to be. Just one, just one revelation. A couple of days ago, <coughs> Pastor, Ron, Pastor Ron said, I've got something in the car set up for you. Don't change it. Don't, don't adjust it. Because when I get in the car, I go to 106.5, which is all the rock and roll 70s. She's always on J103, and the baby goes some other, some other teeny bopper thing. I don't know. So it's always a fight over who does what in the Lexus. And so she said, don't mess with it. Leave it alone. And so I, I got in there, and I think it was Larnell Lar Lar Harris singing Amen. And, and if you've never heard that song, the way a black guy sings it, nobody does it like Larnell. And when he gets to that part, but he rose on Easter, something on the inside of me clicked, and all that stuff I was going through, all the stuff that I was sorting out, didn't seem to be important anymore because I serve a God that has the power over the grave, a power over sickness, the power over debt, the power over fear, the power of discouragement, the power of depression, the power over fear. I serve him and he happens to like me. To God, I'm all that and a bag of chips. And here's what God says, I'm gonna allow my anointing to set upon you so you can accomplish great things in the kingdom. I, you, I believe that you have to have the anointing of God to understand all that God has for you. Let me explain a little bit about the anointing. It can happen in a worship service. There's what we call a breakthrough. Judah plows, praise plows. We come into his gates with thanksgiving, of course with praise, and we begin to plow into one another. We declare how great God is. And then the praise and worship leader will shift and we will go from a horizontal praise to a vertical praise where we stop telling one another how great God is, but we step into the living room of God and we begin to tell him how great he is. And usually what will happen somewhere in that worship setting, you will feel something. You will, you will sense something. It might be like the swell of the wave of the ocean, or it might be a, an electronical prick, or it might be just kind, of, just some kind of, just some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. Or, but it, but there's a breakthrough, and you've stepped from reality to where you're at, and all of a sudden you step into the mercy seat, the grace and the glory of God. And once you get there, you don't want to leave. What has happened so long is that we have timed God in a 45-minute window. Some churches a 15-minute window that this is the time we're going to take for worship and we're going to shut it down. And a lot of people, right when they're just getting ready to go in, we pull the plug, turn the lights on, and, and we miss it. That's why it's important, number one, to come ready to worship. 
If you listen to Conway Twitty and the Eagles all the way to church, you're probably not going to be ready to worship. If you had a major fuss and fight with the wife or you ran over the kid's tricycle on the way to church, you're probably not going to be ready to worship. If you're having a bad hair day or you can't find your hair dryer because you have three girls in your house, they take it wherever they want and never bring it back and you fuss and gripe, hello, you're probably not going to be ready for worship. The reason we start service at 10 is for you to be here at 10. And what I have learned, Delta will not wait a moment for you. The UPS won't wait a moment for you. Pack and ship, when it's five o'clock, it's five o'clock, they're out of there. But we'll come, instead of the saints come marching in, it's when the saints come dragging in. And I think a lot of us, am I preaching? I'm, I'm preaching good now, aren't I? I think, I think a lot of us, we miss that horizontal. And what happens in the horizontal, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three, let every word be established. If any two of you will agree and bind anything or loose anything, and a lot of us are missing that connection. We're missing that quality time of one another declaring to each other how great God is. The angels repeat one another. One says holy, another one says holy. They say holy back and forth. And if you watch the process, says the glory of God fills the temple the post of the door moves and all of a sudden the whole earth is full of the glory of God why because two angels right now are declaring that God is holy and if the angels are doing what they're supposed to be doing and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing then God will do what he has promised to do and that is to show up show out and show off when God shows up he's going to show out he's going to show up and you're going to leave the, listen you may not have got a check for a thousand dollars from somebody you may, you may have got the revelation to the, the new business you're starting, but you'll come in one way and you'll leave another. You'll come in one way and say, it has been good to have been in the house of the Lord. And I have learned through the process of time, I come whether I feel like it or not. I, I've come sometimes where I had to go lay down in the office because I was so nauseated. But here's my point. I can, I can stay home. Not because some weird deadly disease that's contagious. You know, don't, don't, don't come. Stay home. We'll pray for you. But, you know, if you just got a little this or a little that, here's what I've learned. I've learned that I'm going to feel bad if I stay home, and I'm going to feel bad if I come to church. But there is a possibility that there could be a connection there and the anointing could fall upon me and it could heal my broken heart. It could heal my crushed spirit. It could heal my body and I could leave healed. My, my, and what a possibility that you could come to church sick and you could leave healed. Why? Because Jesus said, Luke 4, go with me real quick. Are we all, are we all together in all of this? The importance of the anointing. And we will blow through the reasons why you why you need the anointing. It is 25 till 12. We're making an excellent time. Don't you love the sound of Bible pages rustling? Now, if you don't know where the book of Luke is, you're in trouble. Luke was a surgeon. He wrote two books of the Bible. He's not a disciple. He was a follower of Christ. He wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Luke and he wasn't just a doctor, he was a surgeon. Notice, if you will, the details that Luke goes into. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, he promised the gift of the Holy Ghost through Testament Church. The Bible said it fell upon them, cloven tongues of fire, they were filled, began to speak as the Spirit gave the utterance, was led by the Spirit of the wilderness. And you gotta, you gotta understand there that when it says that he had returned from Jordan, what that meant was at Jordan, there was a death. Look at, look at somebody and say, things die at Jordan. When you are baptized in water, 
are baptized in the spirit, here's what you're saying. There's been a mercy killing. The man I used to be is dead. He's crucified. He is no more. It's no longer about me. Now I'm in a process of sanctification. Now I'm in the process of becoming holy, doing what God wants me to do, saying what God wants me to say. There's a change in me. The song says, don't look for me to be, help me, in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place, what's well, a quiet bunch this morning? Don't make me come up and shout myself down. Don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. And what happens is that when you get full of the Holy Ghost and you go to Jordan and you're baptized and you're dead, all of a sudden Christ begins to live through you. We declare Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word says in you, he moves, he has his being through you. He enjoys laughter, he enjoys children, he enjoys grandchildren, he enjoys birthday parties, he enjoys graduations, he enjoys jet skiing, he enjoys shopping. Jesus enjoys all of that through you. He wants to live his life through you. How cool is that? And then he wants to give the anointing that gives you the power. Watch this, number one. You need the anointing, number one, to be able to overcome the attack of the enemy. He's full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does not lead him to a palace or lead him to a banquet, leads him to a place of, of wilderness. There's not a lot going on in the world. It's cold in the wilderness. It's it's hunger in the wilderness. It's scary in the wilderness. Or things are happening in the wilderness. The wilderness is not a really good place to be, but that's where the Lord is led by the Spirit because in the wilderness, He contacts and comes in attack by the enemy. The enemy shows up. You all know the story. Tries to tempt Him three times. Three times Jesus said, that you won't tempt the Lord your God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word. He passes the test. And notice what happens when he passes the test. Look at somebody and say, I'm in a test. This test will pass. And I will, I will discover what God has for me. Okay, watch what happens. He, he returns in the power of the Spirit. Verse 14. The one of fame of him throughout the region round about. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Came to Nazareth, his hometown, and as a custom was, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Here's a revelation that Pastor Rhonda made me aware of yesterday that I had not seen before. Jesus had read the Bible a lot, and he had been in their synagogue a lot. That tells me probably as a teenager through the early years of of being a man-child. He was a church-goer. He was a synagogue-goer. He was recognized either that he had an incredible ability to read or there was some kind of favor upon him that allowed him to stand before all the people and read. The Bible says this is not the first time he went to read. He's done this before. But on this particular day, what he reads lines up, parallels, circumvents his anointing. There are times when you've read the Bible maybe from cover to cover, maybe you've read the same, the same book over and over. It's a special book to you. It says something special to you. But there'll be times when you will open the Word of God and everything you read will, do, will apply directly to you and you will freak out. For there will be your answer. There will be your breakthrough. 
there will be your favor, there will be your blessing, there will be your anointing, and there will be your healing. Notice what he reads. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me, look at someone and say anointed, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable gear of the Lord. Six things, the number of man, six, six things on his agenda, six ulti, ultimatums in his life that he had to do. Close the book, he gave it to the minister, how cool is that? Gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Some of you need a, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. Some of you need that in your life. Some of you need to go to the house of God, hungry, thirsty, seeking, and all of a sudden the word be open and for something to be shared that you would say, that's my word. That's my, that's, that's my encouragement. That's, that's what will sustain me. That's what will help me get through the, through the night. That's what will help me overcome the, the enemy. That's what will help me remove the mountain that's in my life. And this is a God moment for Jesus. At this particular time, he's simply a great teacher. At the age of 12, he confounded the scholars of the temple. He started early. At, at the age of 30, he goes to the synagogue there's a fame, the Bible says there's a fame throughout the region and the miracle hasn't taken place yet. He hasn't turned the water into wine yet. Just his teaching, just his lifestyle, just as an example, the whole, all the community heard of him. He goes home where he was born and raised and there's no respect, there's no, there's no nothing. They get angry at him. And the Bible says that after his God moment, they would have liked to have thrown him off a cliff, but he walks, the first miracle, he walks right through them un, unhurt, un, unharmed in, in every way. We need a breakthrough moment. We need a time in our life we feel like, you know what, the anointing's all over that song, I'm gonna get bathed by it. The anointing's all over that sermon, I'm gonna get it, read it, memorize it, preach it. The anointing's all over that, that moment, I'm gonna stay in that moment, I'm not gonna leave that presence, I'm gonna stay where God wants me to be. Because number one, you're gonna need the anointing to defeat the armies of hell. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so it does not matter. Gene is a, a black belt in some jiu-jitsu, wutsu, some kind of weird Chinese dinner recipe, something. But you know what? It doesn't matter how many belts he has because he will never face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. He'll never fight the, fight the devil. It's not a physical battle. It's not a battle of who can lift the most weight. It's not a battle of who can bench press the most. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's a spiritual battle, and to fight a spiritual battle, you have to have a spiritual anointing. Let someone in the house say amen and move on. Number two, you need the anointing to break curses and demonic bondages. There are generational curses. There are familiar curses. There are curses that we brought upon ourselves. There are curses that have been placed upon us by others. I do believe in witchcraft. I do believe in the Ouija board. I do believe in tarot cards. I have seen demonic activity. People have been tapped into the things of darkness that have the ability to manipulate things in the spirit and manipulate things in your mind and your, in your, I, I do believe in all that. 
And I believe that we need the power of the anointing to overcome and destroy the curses and destroy the bondage. Perfect example, the number one call of David was not to fight Goliath. It was not to marry the king's daughter. The number one call of David was Saul will become overwhelmed with demonic authority, demonic power, and it would depress him, it would discourage him. Saul had a major issue with pride. It may have been the demon of pride. There's no, he had, a, he had, a, he had, a, had an issue with, with self, uh, self-understanding who he was. He never really grasped who he was in the kingdom. He had a, a lot of challenges, but these challenges opened the door for demons to come and harass him and demons to come to haunt him and dog him. And the Bible said when these demons came upon him that they would send for David. Long before he killed Goliath, long before he killed the lion and the bear, David would go to the palace and there he would play his harp. And his music was so anointed is that the demons would flee, the demons would run off as long as Saul was open to ministry. There was one day that Saul got frustrated with David and instead of being delivered, he took a spear, do you remember? And tried to kill David. So, so the people that were ministering to, they gotta wanna be ministered to, are you there? They, they, gotta, they gotta come to you and say, hey, I got a challenge in my life, I got a problem in my life, I need something, I need something in my life. So the number two reason why you need the, the anointing in your life is to overcome any kind of demonic curse or any kind of demonic bondage. And it's just my personal opinion, I believe that, I believe that, that the abuse of drugs is a demonic bondage. The spirit of pharmakia, the Bible says in 1 Samuel, that, that spirit of, of witchcraft, where, where that witch has that cauldron, stirs up that potion, where the, the medical, the pill, the pill com- companies of the world are making millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Now, now they have a drug that gets you off heroin, that gets you off opiate, and, and to, get, to go from heroin to the Suboxone is $21 a day. Now, how would you like to have a $21 a day uh, process in your life that you have to pay to be how, how many where, where, where are the people that would love to have a $21 a day but it's $120 a week that's the world's answer how to get you off drugs aren't you glad that you can come to the river that you can fall in the water you can be baptized by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and you can be delivered and set free by the blood of Jesus somebody I promise you it does not take it does not take $21 to build that bill but somebody is making millions and the love of money is the root of all that's evil. So we need the anointing in our life to get off drugs, stay off drugs, and help other people that are on drugs or alcohol and help them get free of some kind of demonic curse. I'm preaching better than you're clapping, but that's okay. Number three, the reason that you need the anointing in your life is to, to break poverty cycles from your generation. Let me ask you a question. If he came to heal the sick, what happened when he prayed for the sick? He got healed. Look at something. That's the right answer. He got healed. If he came to break cycles off of people, what happened when he prayed? When he came to set the, the captive that were bound free, what happened? Okay. When he came to preach the gospel to the poor, what happened? they had some kind of revelation concerning prophecy, concerning prosperity, concerning the fact that God did not want them broke, busted, and disgusted. That God did not want them eating spam and their wiener snitchel. 
that God had a better. The Bible says, if you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. David said, I'm old, I've been young, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed out begging for bread. Jesus talked more about money than any other teacher in the Bible. And Jesus watched the offering, he watched the mega giver, he watched the widow, he said, whoa, 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 notice this. What she gave today is far more than he gave. He watches the attitude of the heart, not the balance of the pocketbook. Am I helping anybody in the house? 80% of the church of Jesus Christ, and that's not a denomination, that's the entire church in, in America, 80% of the church is not tithing. And we wonder why we're going through poverty cycles. We wonder why we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and now Peter's broke. We're wondering why we've got all these credit card debts. We're wondering why we've got all these, all these fender benders, all these audits, all these trips to the emergency room without insurance. The Bible says if a man does not tithe, he robs God. But when a man tithes, he gets the attention of God, the favor of God, and God blesses your money. Your money needs to be anointed. Look at somebody and say, my money is anointed. The 90 is holy because I sowed the 10. I depend upon God. Good, I depend upon God to provide my need and what I have need of. Do you really believe that? You know, say that. Do you really believe that? Last Sunday we talked about, what are you addicted to? And you can look at your money, where you spend it, what you're addicted to, where your heart is. The number th three reason, four. To heal the broken spirit, the broken heart, that bruised spirit that's been crushed, to receive a healing. I want to bring attention to a guy by the name of Jephthah. Jephthah's dad had a bunch of kids. Jephthah's dad messed up and slept with a prostitute. She wasn't paying attention. She got pregnant. She birthed Jephthah. Jephthah's brothers ran him off. Ran him out of the, ran him out of the, ran him out of the house, ran him out of the inheritance and told him, you'll have nothing to do with our father's blessing. You'll have nothing to do with our father's inheritance. You're a bastard child and you're entitled to nothing. I will not spend a lot of time reminding us of where we're at right now. The husbands that have abandoned the wives, the kids are being raised without dads. Those kids that can obviously have hurts, wounds, pains, because they've been abandoned, because someone's bailed on them, because someone has not. But I believe this touches a large part of the congregation, a large part of the church of Jesus Christ today, that we have been wounded, we've been offended, we've been hurt because those that were supposed to love us and mentor us and direct us, they're gone. And now here we are on our own. And so what happens, Jephthah, being, being a rebel, being rowdy, surrounds himself with a bunch of rowdy rebel guys. Kind of like David. When David got rejected because he killed Goliath, he went to a cave. He found 400 losers. They made him the captain over losers. Got a word from God. Nathan the prophet told him, take these losers, turn them to winners. And he raised up an army that destroyed thousands of people. It's amazing how God can turn around any negative in your life. So Jephthah, cut off from his family, cut off from the family name, called a bastard openly by his brothers, gets a bunch of guys around him, and all of a sudden, these guys become pretty rowdy and they raise up a pretty good army and they start, they start taking stuff away from the Ammonites and the Philistines. The people of God are under attack. The, the Ammonites are about to come and kill everyone and destroy everything they have. And so they raise up an entourage to go to Jephthah to ask Jephthah to help them. And part of this entourage was Jephthah's brothers. 
Because I thought, well, maybe the brothers will have a little cloud and they can talk him into it. So they come to Jephthah and said, Jephthah, can you come and fight for us? Can you come and, and, and help what needs to be done? And Jephthah said, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys have dogged me. You've trashed me. You've run me down. You've lied about me. You've wounded me. You've bruised my spirit. You've bruised my heart. You've crushed me. I have no confidence in anybody. I don't trust anybody because I've been burnt in every area of my life. And now you want me to fight for you? Well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? People can throw you under the bus until they need your food stamp card. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're laughing. People can trash you, run you down, say things about you. But the minute the bottom falls out of their boat, the very one they trash and run down is the one they know can get a hold of God and they'll come to you. And you know what? You just gotta, you gotta shake it off. You, gotta, you cannot tell them, you know, you, you can't, you want to, right? I mean, we wanna cuss them out, we wanna hold them into the wall and choke them, but you can't do any of that. You gotta show the side of Christ. You gotta be nice. You gotta be loving. You gotta be courteous. You gotta be respectful. Foot. That's Jesus. Don't compare. Listen, I ain't nothing compared to Jesus. I probably never will be. There's a side of me that just wants to say, you know, what, what do you, what do you, I mean, hello, hello, are you, are you in there? You want me after you have thrown me on the bus, after you've done all this, you want me? Okay. And Jephthah, watch this. Because of the history of Israel, because of the purpose of the things of God, because of the standard that had already been declared by his ancestors. He didn't fight for his loser brothers. He didn't fight for a community that had run him down and dogged him and trashed him. Like David, there was a cause. Like David, there was a purpose. Like David, there was a need. Like David, there was a door. And he stepped through it. And the Bible says he defeated the army, defeated the enemy, and turned everything back over to his brothers, back over to the, the people of God. Why? Because he was anointed to do that. I feel like there are some, and I believe this is actually one of my notes, and I will, I'll wind this thing down. Let's just do six. How's that? Let's do seven. Let me do seven first, then come back to six. The reason you need the anointing of God in your life is to help you carry heavy burdens. You're like a one-ton truck. No offense. And you got a 40-ton burden. You got a five gigawatt whatever you and you need it you got a five megabyte and you need a 200 megabyte you cannot possibly do what's required of you you can't possibly make that queen for a day happen you can't possibly make that latest conference happen you can't possibly make that food pantry happen you can't possibly make the mother's day thing happen you can't there's no way you can possibly do it that's when you tap in to the supernatural provision of God and the anointing comes upon you and it's like, wow, where did that come from? It came from God. Documented not, not once or twice, but at least 10 times that I know of that a husband was working under a vehicle and the jack, and this almost happened to us the other day, the jack, the jack was set upon a, on a cross beam and it slipped off and this entire axle, the weight of the rear end of this car fell on her husband and she went outside and saw what was going on and picked 
the car up with one hand and reach out and drug him out by the other. How many's heard that? Heard that before? Doc documentation. Physically impossible. There's no way it could possibly happen, but because it was needed and because she took a, a leap of faith and because something came upon her, she did exactly what God had called her to do. Esther was, was terrified. If she went before the king, the king could kill her like he did the first wife. She went. Hannah risked everything, going to the altar and praying with no words coming of her mouth, being afraid she'd be called a drunk or whatever. She risked it. Ruth to go into a single man's bedroom and lay down and cover her feet with his covers, that's risky. She could be called anything, taken outside the, the city and stoned. But she took a chance on God. She knew there was an anointing there. There was a push. There was, when, that, when, that, when that mom eagle gets in that nest and stirs that nest and pushes that baby out of that, out of that nest and that, that baby's there, doesn't know what to do and it sticks out those little tiny wings and has to be able to fly because the anointing of the mother pushed the baby out of the nest, the baby flew. You have got to depend upon the anointing of the Holy Ghost to push you out of wherever you're at and be able to do what God has called you to do. I'm preaching good. Okay, now let's go to six. We're done. The reason you need the anointing of God in your life is to have the authority, the power, the tenacity, the determination to declare new seasons in your life. There are guys in this room, and listen, if you bought these offering buckets for the church, please don't be offended, okay? But there are guys in this room that have decided to kick their drug habit and say, no more. I'm done. I'm done. No more. No more. I'm done. Mike is going on a, a journey. Indonesia. No, India. One stipulation. He asked pastor, can I go? I said, one stipulation. You quit smoking. I bought him a pack yesterday. What did I tell you? I believe this is from the Lord. What did I say? This is the last pack. How are, you, how are you doing? How many got left? Okay, so we're done. We're done. See, that's that, that's that determination of a, put him on the spot. You know, some of us need to be put on the spot. Hello, some of us need to put our clout behind our shout. Hello, some of us need to start walking the talk that we're talking. Some of us need to start leave, living the song that we're singing. We're declaring all these things to God, to the devil, and everybody else. But, but, but we're so lukewarm, so mamby-pamby, so, so melancholy, so mellow, so chilled out that we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody, hurt somebody's feelings, foot, offend them, hurt their feelings. The Holy Ghost can heal them. He can pick them up by the hair of the head if they have hair and bring them back and put them where they need to be. Here's the story. Here's the story. Things are bad. Things are real bad. Philistines have conquered Israel. Things are bad. There's this guy by the name of Gideon that in the shade of a water tower, he's got a little, and it's probably not the size of this room, but he's got an area where he has planted beans. Now, I grew up in a generation that you could live on beans and taters. Where's my beans and taters, people? I mean, if you had, if you had beans, come on, my, where's my hillbillies? Come on, beans. If you had beans and taters, you could survive. I mean, the chocolate cake was nice. A roast once in a while was great. But I'm telling you, beans and taters, you could survive. I think Gideon had a, had a cousin by the, I don't know what his name was, but I believe he had a potato field. So Gideon is doing the beans. His cousin, 
because cousins do things like that, into a potato field, and he is hiding, hoarding, protecting this piece of ground from the Philistines. An angel, one of these watchers that we're talking about in Daniel 4, shows up and says, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. And you know what Gideon says? If I'm such a mighty man of valor, valor then where are the miracles of the Dead Sea? Where are the miracles that my people have told me about? Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What, what's going on right now? If, there, if, if I'm really a man of valor, then why am I where I'm at right now? Because God sees things about you you don't see about yourself. Because God knows exactly what you're going through. God knows exactly the burdens, the pressure, the frustration. Trying to steal your land, trying to steal your wife, trying to steal your job, trying to steal your promotion, trying to steal your car. God knows all of that stuff. And God sends the angel and he sees what you're really made out of. He'll never put more on you than you can't handle. He knows what, you, and some of you are tougher than you realize. Your elasticity and your, and your, and your uh, help me, Pastor Ron, exponentiality, ability, is that a good word? Exponential, is that, is that right, Matt? I, I submit to your music, I should know stuff like that. In other words, the ability that you have, the talents you have, God sees all that. Right now, we're, we're just a child. Right now, we're just in the book of Matthew. But we're going to go on, and we are going to digest this book, and we're going to do what God has called us to do, and we're going to step out of this shape of this water tower, and we're going to do what God calls us to do. You know why? Because Gideon clothed himself with God. Gideon armed himself with the weapons of God, the ability of God, the town of God, but Gideon, like everybody else, thought you had to have a big crowd to do it. So he summons up thousands of warriors. You know the story. And God begins to reduce the men he picked. Gideon submits to God and gets down to 300 men. 300 men. And there's an army of thousands, Gene. But I'll tell you what Gideon learned. If he get the army in a tight place, it doesn't matter how many there are, there are, it's one-on-one. And Gideon's 300 could do everything that an army of thousands could do because God selected the battle, the place of battle, how to fight the battle. And if God selects the place, how to fight it, he knows how to win it. Look at somebody say amen. He knows how to win it. You need the anointing in your life to be able to declare new seasons in your life. I'm tired of where I'm at. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to deal with the same fears, the same failures, the same frustrations, new levels, new devils. The anointing will carry you into new levels, but when you get, even Jesus at the very top had to fight the devil. No matter where you're at, there's always going to be a battle. There's always going to be a struggle. You're always going to need the anointing. Matt, if you'll come help me. Today we honor our moms and today we honor those that would decide to let the Holy Spirit move them out of the nest. You can, Nike says just do it. You can do it. You can do it. God will give the strength, the ability, the talent, the finances, the willpower, the staying power 